This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Good morning, Atlanta. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are tuned in to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We broadcast every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, on Real 1100 a.m. WWWE. We are also broadcasting over the internet at real1100.com. And I am currently live streaming on my Facebook page uh, for Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We also will be live streaming on WWE's uh, Facebook page. And we are a part of the Old Fashioned Health Network and are streaming on that page as well. So lots of places where you can hear and in some cases see what we are what we are doing today. So I hope you all are having a great week thus far. This is the the best hour of my week because I have so much fun. And once again today, I'm excited about our guest who is now an old friend um, of the show. And he'll be on in just a bit. But before we get started with that, and so talking about the um, the soundtrack. So today is about empower, empowerment. Um, and so... This song that's playing now, if you can hear it, is called You Don't Own Me. Um, And so we are going to be doing some women's empowerment today um, in honor of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So if you've been paying attention to the news, um, you know that we lost a giant um, in the fight for not just women's equality, uh, but equality of all people. Um, in Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, So Justice Ginsburg, um, as you may or may not know, um, was only the second woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, Of course, the first being uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And um, one of her big things was about the equality of the sexes. And um, that was her work with um, with the ACLU, Uh, prior to her being nominated to the federal bench, and, of course, prior to her being appointed to the Supreme Court. And so, you know, there may be some question as to why this is such a big deal. So I'm just going to give you just a little scenario here, right? So here we go. 
Imagine if you will. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I do that, let me give my shout outs. I'm, I'm all discombobulated today. So here we are. I am saying shout out to my number one fan in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Shout out to Charlotte, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, Chesapeake, Virginia, Seattle, Washington, and of course, where I call home now, Atlanta, Georgia. Hope you all are all well. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to give for me to give your town a shout out, drop me a note on my Facebook page and tell me where you are listening or streaming from. So anyway, back to today's um, today's discussion. So imagine if you will, um, you are a young woman who's just started her first job. You just got your first paycheck. So this is in the days before direct deposit and all of that. And you take it to the bank to open up a new bank account. Right. So it sounds simple enough. And, you know, you're starting out in life and excited about how um, how life will go for you. And, you know, earning your own money and all of that. And, you know, you're just quite proud of yourself. You know, you've worked hard and this is probably the first money that you've earned on your own. Right. So you get to the bank and the accounts manager tells you, uh, ma'am, you'll need your husband's permission in order to open this bank account. And they're not joking, right? They tell you, you know, you'll need a man to co-sign for you to have this bank account to deposit the money that you worked and you earned for. If you are not married, then your father's permission uh, will suffice. So I want you all just to kind of think about that. Just something as simple as opening a bank account in your own name as an adult woman to deposit money that you have earned. That prior to 1974, you legally could not do that in this country. Okay. I was born in 1973, so this is you know, not tremendously, I'm not so, so old, even though I say that I am, um, but I'm not, I'm not even 50 years old yet. So in the last 50 years, or just a little bit prior to that, you know, in only the last 50 years, this has changed. And, and you know, when you think about it, it, it just sounds just so incredibly absurd, right? But this is really how life was for women prior to um, the entrance of a, a young lawyer, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This was, this was the woman's experience. This is what she could expect, um, and not just with bank accounts. Um, she could not, a woman in, in prior to 74, um, could not apply for a home loan on her own. Uh, she could not, um, she had to worry about um, if she were pregnant, and, you know, could legally be fired from her job just for being pregnant, whether she was married or not. Um, you know, just just a whole lot of, of, of things that we take for granted now that that have um, made our existence in the world of work as women a lot easier. We owe to Justice Ginsburg. So I'm going to go go further in your imaginings, if you all will, will take this trip with me. Imagine in 1977. You are newly pregnant, but you have to hide it at work for fear that you may be fired. Which is a legal thing that they that could have happened to you at that point in time. Or 
you were legally forced to have a sterilization procedure in order to keep your job. And you had to show proof that you had been sterilized in order to keep your job. These are real things that happened in the United States of America to women all across this country. And of course, women who are economically and educationally disadvantaged were more frequently affected by these conditions. Or if you want to go a little bit further, in 1995, a taxpayer-funded state school could refuse you admission because you were female. And that was the case uh, that Justice Ginsburg argued against the Virginia Military Institute. Uh, they tried to um, do the separate but equal thing where they wanted to set up a separate program for women. And Justice Ginsburg argued that women should undergo the same program and receive the same education at a taxpayer-funded institute of higher learning. Going back in time a little bit to 1968, let's say you are a man, okay? So it's not just about women's rights here. You're a man and you're the caregiver for your mother and you are denied by the IRS the caregiver tax deduction just because you are male. Or you are a man and your spouse dies leaving you to care for a small child and because you are male you are denied the Social Security survivor benefit, the death benefit that you get um, when your spouse dies. And you're denied this strictly because you are male. All of these are real cases that were successfully argued by Justice Ginsburg. And so as she is being honored this week and laid to rest, I, I could not um, do this show um, without speaking about her and her incredible life and her incredible contributions. Whether we have known those contributions or not, they were still there. And so we owe her a, a debt of, of gratitude because she literally changed the path for women. So if you are a woman, or if you know a woman, um, all of these things, women's lives were made better because she stood up. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Justice Ginsburg later. But for right now, we are going to get into, uh, we're going to go to commercial. And then when we come back, we will have our guest, Mr. Brian Ford, from our friends over at Northwestern Mutual. And we will talk about uh, what is your relationship with Uncle Sam. So this is everybody's least favorite uncle. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. We'll be right back after the break. This is Dr. Carissa. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Rejuvenation for youthfulness and beauty is trending worldwide. People are getting laser hair removal, 
Botox, dermal fillers, skin brightening, tightening, lifting, and reshaping. SmartPlex ATL, a comprehensive medical spa located in East Cobb, 4799 Old Town Parkway. You can also visit us online at smartplexatl.com. Dr. Alexander and his team enjoy pampering you while you receive customized treatments in a beautiful, calming, zen-like atmosphere. SmartPlex ATL, we are your Hollywood destination for exciting, youthful rejuvenation. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Welcome back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and that was a song about the IRS. And so we are talking today with our friend, Mr. Brian Ford of Northwestern Mutual. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Hello, hello, hello. You know, it was funny when I was doing my research for this show. I always try to put like a little soundtrack together. And there are a lot of songs about people being mad with the IRS. I, I, I didn't I didn't know this. And I was like, OK, well, you know what? We're going to roll with that. Hopefully, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say to the IRS, if anybody's listening out there, I didn't write these songs. I'm just, you know, just putting that out there because you know, I don't want y'all. You know, I'm not one of those ones like rappers like, you know, they don't care about the feds. Yeah, I, I actually do. Um, I, I don't want those kind of problems so welcome back to the show and so we are talking today about our relationship with uncle sam but let me just say first of all you know most of us have uncles um they may or may not be blood related um as definitions of family you know extend to uh, include individuals that are near and dear to us 
And of those uncles, we have favorites. And I personally am blessed with three uncles. One has unfortunately passed away a year ago. Um, and among them, I can't find a favorite amongst my, my three uncles. Um, they each are funny, crazy. They say stuff. They keep me in stitches, keep me in line um, with their stories and their antics. But we all have this one uncle in common that we don't really care for. And, you know, my question is, you know, who, who invited him and how did he get to be our uncle? I'm like, I, I don't I don't know that that, you know, I don't know how he got that honorific. But anyway, <laughs> that's what I just wanted to say. I'm like, you know, no, I, I don't I don't know that I like him as an as an uncle. I don't know what I would call him, you know. But anyway, back to you. So our relationship with Uncle Sam Tell us, Mr. Mr. Brian Ford, what should we know? What should we be doing? Um, well, unfortunately, you know, our relationship with Uncle Sam is one of those non-negotiable things in life. I mean, we've yeah. all heard, you know, the famous phrase of there's, you know, two things that are definite in this life. And that's death, death and, and taxes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, we're, we're stuck with this uncle whether we like it or not. This is very that's true. The reality of it. Very true. Um, and and in that same wavelength, you know, the sooner the sooner we acknowledge and kind of just embrace that as fact, the better off we are because <laughs> then we can start planning around ways. How can we make sure that the uncle is like way down the street or in another state that we keep him happy, as far right, as far away from us as possible, right, right, yeah, yeah, um, and 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 doing so, you know, is really this is where you know it's so wise and prudent for any individual to surround themselves with with a team of professionals to help um, make sure that the relationship with uncle sam is in a healthy place definitely having uh you know someone like myself having a wealth advisor financial advisor in your corner that understands kind of the ins and outs and the intricate details around taxes not only today but also making sure that you're having the foresight and the wisdom to plan for what's happening later down the train track. So let's split that into two paths, because I will say when I was someone's employee, I didn't concern myself really with Uncle Sam as much. Um, you know, it wasn't a, a ever-present thought because, you know, I had the deductions coming out of my, out of my check, um, you know, and then at the end of the year I did my taxes, and it was somewhat easy because... Since I wasn't self-employed at that time, I didn't have deductions or, you know, it, it wasn't as much of a production as it is once you become self-employed. So now let's talk about it from the, the standpoint of an employee. What mm -hmm. things should they be aware of with, with keeping Uncle Sam happy? Because, you know, it is a little bit easier because of the deductions and that kind of thing. You don't have to figure all of that out um, for yourself. But, you know, what what extra strategies should someone who is an employee in an employee situation, what should they, impl what kind of strategies should they use? Sure. So the, the most common to, you know, you kind of look at most people when they retire, uh, the largest assets that most people own mm -hmm. are usually their home mm -hmm. and balance on the 401k. Mm -hmm. And, Part of that is just to, for the design to where you buy a home, you're consistently paying a mortgage every single month until you pay it off, and usually the home is worth more later. Right. Um, and along the way, there's tax incentives. So you can write off, you know, the 
interest that you're paying on the home, the property taxes, et cetera. So that, that becomes a tax-saving opportunity as the years are going by. Right. And then with the, with the 401k, on a standard 401k that's pre-tax, you're not paying any taxes as you're contributing to that account. And so that, that also becomes another mechanism to lower your tax burden mm-hmm. as the years go by. Um, outside of those two items, for most people, you know, with the, the recent tax law change we had back in 2018, it kind of shifted some things around. Okay. So now the standard deduction is, is a bit higher. And so because of that, you know, it may, it may make it more challenging for some people to itemize. But for the people who do, usually the, the common things that are being itemized are charitable giving to where if you're giving to, you know, your alma mater or giving to your place of worship, uh, giving to another nonprofit organization, you know, those gifts add up, and you can actually write those off on, on the itemized side of your taxes as well. I just want to go back to something that you, you just said when you were talking about um, using your 401k and how that reduces your taxable income. And so I just want to share that, you know, that is a pre-tax deduction. And please chime in and correct me if I'm wrong. That is a pre-tax deduction. So that lowers the amount of income tax, or excuse me, of taxable income which in turn lowers the amount of tax that you owe. Correct. There we go. So I just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's listening because, you know, there are some people, and I was one of those people, I'll be quite honest with you, um, you know, when I was employed, that I was not one that immediately took advantage of the 401k savings that were offered to me. Um, I don't know why, but, you know, maybe I had some shoes to buy with that extra money or something, something ridiculous. Um, Knowing me, that is probably that is entirely true or possible. Um, but, you know, once I did, then you start to see, you know, that you owe less taxes and you have this vehicle um, for saving some money. And, you know, and it really does add up quite quickly, which is nice. Um, so now what are besides your home and your 401k, um, what are some of the most attractive vehicles to reduce your tax bill today? So uh, I'll shift over maybe to the, the entrepreneur side of things yeah, a little bit. Please. Um, for for that world, you know, it's a completely different ball game. Mm-hmm. If you're running a lot of things through your business and it's a legitimate business expense, you can write that off. Mm-hmm. So, for for example, if you have to uh, travel to, and again, this is going to change because of COVID, but pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were traveling a lot to see clients or whatever position or, you know, self-employment opportunity you had, mm-hmm. and that was necessary, you could write off uh, mileage for the mileage you were traveling for business purposes. Mm-hmm. That, that adds up over time, if, especially if you're clocking a lot of miles on your vehicle. Most certainly. Um, outside of that, if you had a professional dedicated space that you were using for business purposes, you could write off the lease arrangement, the utilities, so the phone service, internet service, electric, a lot of that stuff you can write off as well. So now, just to give a pause on that now, if you have a home office, that becomes a little bit trickier, correct? Correct. And I honestly imagine the home office deduction will probably see a surge <laughs> due to COVID. Right. Because there's a lot more people. Because working from home right. now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more people are. This is true. This, I hadn't even thought yeah. about that. Yeah. 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 Um, but aside from that, you know, in the, in the entrepreneurship world, 
you don't necessarily have a 401k like given to you on a silver platter. Right. And so you have to go and curate and create your benefits package. And so for, depending on the, the size of the business and the number of employees, you potentially could set up a 401k. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, you know, most small businesses, you know, are relatively small in nature. You have a lot of sole proprietors as well. So a 401k mm-hmm. makes sense. In that environment, a SEP IRA or a solo 401k or a simple IRA, you know, there's a lot of other pre-tax vehicles as well. Particularly with the SEP IRA, if your business is doing well and you have a surplus of revenue coming in, you potentially could stuff up to $56,000 into a SEP in one year. Which is nice because that's a lot more than what you can put into a 401k. Correct. Which which the limit is... Nineteen five. So go. you can only get nineteen thousand five hundred into a four hundred one k, but you can get fifty six k into a set. Very nice. Very nice. So now, as this is an election year, and so taxes is a you know it's always something that we always care about, but it is really really a hot button when it becomes um, you know a political year or an election year I should say. And so you know. How high? Because, you know, people people don't want to pay taxes. But of course, you know, and and I hate to say this, but it's true. Taxes are a necessary part of how we live in our communities, because those monies filter down and go into our municipal services as well. Um, But now, you know, we always worry about and cringe at how high um, the tax rate will be. Um, I was just having a discussion with a good friend of mine um, about, uh, you know, the the current that she had heard that, you know, the current um, tax rate would be 40 percent, which when you look at it, it, it is a lot. You know, that that's a jaw dropping number. Um, but how high has an ordinary income tax been in the past? So if you rewind the clock back and it's not really all that long ago, if you go back to, let's say, the civil rights era, the mm-hmm. 1960s, okay, if you were a single filing taxpayer, you made 200K, your marginal tax rate was 90%. Whoa. Or if you were married making 400K, your marginal tax rate was 90%. And so when you when you translate that, that means if you gross, if you're single, if you gross 200K, you're going to net like after you run through the, the tax table, 70 to 80K. So a lot of your money just disappeared. Wow. <laughs> That's painful. Like, my gosh. Yeah, and that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. And, so, you know, it, it's it's something when you, when you study history and you see, you know, because I, I think, you know, for me, I come from, um, you know, I'm, I'm not from a rich family. And so I don't know, and I and I think that this may very well be true, that, you know, a lot of the conversations that are had about taxes, um, you know, are like 40,000 feet, you know, whereas the average person, like, for example, I just, you know, just heard, you know, Joe Biden's um, proposal where, you know, if you make over $400,000 a year, then, you know, there's X, Y, Z, you know, will be expected of you from a tax standpoint. And, you know, there are so many people who feel like, well, you know, I, I don't make anywhere near $400,000. So that doesn't really affect me. Right. But it does. Would you would you agree? It does. Absolutely. As, e- even if you aren't at that level, I mean, the, the rates are marginal. And so right. 
even if you aren't at the top rate, more than likely your marginal rate has probably incrementally increased as well. So there's going to be more dollars flowing up. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, definitely for all of us, we want to hold everything that we can hold. So now working with a, a tax professional and a wealth management specialist such as yourself, um, you know, we can identify these deductions. Um, but of course, with the deductions, and I'll just say, you know, there is a there's a little bit of, of work that you have to do. There's some serious record keeping um, that has to happen um, because if the IRS, if Uncle Sam does say, you know what, Carissa, I, I don't believe that you really, really spent this much on what on dry cleaning, let's say, <laughs> for example, you know, you have to prove that. Correct. You may have to do that. And so do you think that it is like, do you have any recommendations for apps or filing systems or anything like that that would be helpful? Because we're all busy and, you know, trying to keep up with a little teeny tiny receipt. And, you know, I just can't imagine the anxiety that comes. Well, I don't have to anxiety. I don't have to imagine I've been in that situation um, where you know, someone is asking you to produce a receipt and you're, you know, trying to find it and, you know, that kind of thing. It, it just can be kind of nerve wracking. So what strategies can we can we all employ to just kind of do better record keeping with what we're spending, particularly as it comes with deductions? Sure. So th- there's a myriad of different ways you can handle it. And more than anything goes, my advice would be find something that you know is going to make it easy for you to habitually stick to. Mm-hmm. regardless if it's physical paper or, to your point, some digitized electronic app, because it it's not going to help you at all if you're like, all right, cool, I'm going to download this app, but then you never use it. But then it. you don't use it. Right. <laughs> or right. if you it. say you're going to use the paper method, but you keep throwing all your receipts in the trash, it's, it's not going to help. Right. But so whatever you decide, is, yeah. is choose something you're going to stick with, and you know you'll make it easy for yourself. <laughs> Perfect. 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 So now next question, what can we all do to minimize tax exposure now and later? Sure. So for now, some of of the things that we just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, and then outside of that, you know, for for now, you kind of look at the the tax code and real estate, for example, has always been, you know, an attractive vehicle to leverage from a tax vantage point. When you kind of look at it from a piece of investment property, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's an asset that you have on your balance sheet. You get to take depreciation for it on your taxes, but Mm -hmm. usually in most cases, it's it's an appreciating asset. Mm -hmm. That becomes very attractive to a lot of people, especially if it's a Know, income-producing rental property. So you're you're receiving income, you're taking depreciation, and later down the road, it's going to be worth more. And so, and that's the reason why a lot of people love real estate mm-hmm. tax treatment on it. Yeah, and that's something that I've I've noticed throughout the years is always you know that's that's never you know sometimes like with the the child credits and you know all the other kinds of deductions they never seem to touch real estate. Mm-hmm. Real estate is always like you know. I hate to be cliche, like money in the bank, um, you know, that you never have to worry about it. And, and when we're talking about rental income, you know, that was a, a whole burgeoning um, industry like Airbnb and, and home away and all of that. Now, of course, this is all pre-COVID because now that no one is going anywhere, you know, we're seeing um, that that industry is, is being negatively affected as well. But pre-COVID, you know, that was a whole thing of 
rent your house to someone who is vacationing and earn XYZ income. Certainly. You know, so that definitely is something to look into. And it's something that that everyone can participate in, no matter what your income level is. So, for example, and this is something that, again, I wish that I had done. If you are about to buy a house, consider buying a duplex. And so you you live in one side and you rent out the other. Yeah, you're paying I've one. Seen that mortgage. A lot. Yeah, you're paying one mortgage, and in some cases, the rental income that you get pays your whole mortgage. So you're living in your house for free. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it doesn't have to be. You know, what I what I hope to get out of this conversation, and and I hope to communicate to people is that, you know, these kind of strategies are not just for rich people. These strategies are for, every you know, whatever kind of job you work. You know, of course, you're going to have to get your budget together and, you know, make some make some plans and set some goals for yourself. And it may depend upon your income. It may take a little while longer to get there, but you can get there. This is totally doable. You know, this is not just for, you know, the massively wealthy people to have, you know, rental income and second homes and, you know, all of this stuff. The the average American person can have this. Would you agree? I wholeheartedly agree. And and that's the reality of it is all of this stuff is scalable. Mm-hmm. And so it's really just meeting you exactly where you're at, right. putting, putting together a strategy and a game plan that just leverage all the tools available to us to make sure that we're satisfying Uncle Sam right. and not hemorrhaging out unnecessary dollars to Uncle Sam. Right. Because, you know, I'm just like, you know, Uncle Sam, he he has his money and, and, you know, there can be commentary. There can be commentary made about how he is responsible or not responsible with the money that he has. I don't know. You know, because, you know, let's be honest, the country is allowed to run at a deficit. My my household isn't allowed to run in, in a deficit. And a very large deficit. And a huge <laughs> deficit, right. You know, we're talking, what, trillions of dollars. Like, you know, I don't even know how many zeros that is. Just right off the top of my head. You know, it, it's it's staggering, you know. But the rest of us are not allowed to, to run at a, at a deficit. And I, and I think that that is, is, is one of our issues, at least one of my issues, uh, with our dear uncle. So now, what is the difference between ordinary income tax and a capital gains tax? Sure. So ordinary income tax will go through the marginal tax rates, kind of how we were describing mm-hmm. with you know, for the civil rights folks and whether they had to pay 90%. Well, that's painful every time I say that. Yeah, you just kind of got to give a pause just for just like for a few seconds. You can't just run right into the next part of that sentence. You know, 90%, 90. Like, my gosh. I, I can't imagine that, you know, so I, I may have to find somebody who was like really, really working during that time. And it's like, what in, how did you live? Like, how did you make it? But anyway, continue you on. You may want to sit down with, with a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Because I, I think some people went through some things. Yeah, but get, getting back to the whole capital yes. gains tax thing. So if you look at our current tax environment, so mm-hmm. worst case scenario, on the federal ordinary income tax level, you pay 37%. Mm-hmm. Where if, if you're at that level, your capital gains tax exposure is 20%. And so conceivably, you've almost cut your tax bill in half just by only being exposed to capital gains versus ordinary income. So now, what is, what is capital gains? So that is, let's say um, you go in, you know, here, here recently, 
you know, Apple and Tesla has kind of been like the, the hot buzzwords in the investment world because mm-hmm. stock splits that they just had. Mm-hmm. So let, let's say you went in and you bought some shares of Apple and or Tesla today, mm-hmm. and then you fast forward 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. More than likely, the value of each one of those shares are going to be worth more than what they were when you originally bought them. Sure. And so the, the difference of what you bought at and its current fair market value is, is capital gain. So now, do you have to pay if, if you're if you're just holding on to that? So let's say um, I have stock in Apple and, you know, I bought it at whatever and now it's a whole lot more. And so there is profit there, but I have not touched it. Or maybe I have relayed that into buying more stock. Do I still am I still liable for the capital gains or is it only if I sell that stock and take that profit? Does only that, if you sell. So it's only okay. a gain on paper, but the moment you decide to actually liquidate out of those shares and sell them and turn it into cash, it's a taxable event. That's when they get you. And so it, and the, the unique part about that, though, is for a multi-wealth generation transferring uh, technique. Mm-hmm. And I want to say we may have mentioned it before. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you bought a bunch of shares and you pass away and, you know, the beneficiary, let's say if it's one of your children, the fair market value at the date of your death is now their new basis of the original investment. So let's say you bought $100,000 worth by the time you pass away, it's worth a million. Well, now your children's basis is at a million. And so if they decide to sell two days after you passed away and it's still worth a million, there's no taxes. So that $900,000 of gain is missed, Uncle Sam. Nice. Nice. So that is a is a vehicle, not necessarily for for your wealth, although, you know, if it's growing, grown to that much and you need that, then, you know, that's great to have that as an as an asset or as a as something in your back pocket. But more so for for generational wealth building. Sure. Well, and it, and it also can thing. be for your for your lifetime as well. So mm-hmm. right now. So let's say you hit retirement and you have assets in multiple places. You got a uh, block of money in your 401k and a taxable investment account. Maybe you're holding some Apple shares or whatever you make, whatever else you're holding. If you can keep your marginal federal income tax level at a 12% tax rate in today's tax environment, mm-hmm. your capital gains rate is zero. Wow. And so if, if you figured out a way to drop your taxable income down and keep it at 12 and you got a good amount of cash and then an investment account, so let's say maybe you inherited an investment account mm-hmm. and you held on to it. Now you can produce an additional stream of income off that investment account and not be exposed to capital gains tax. Nice. See, these are all the things that when you look at people who have been wealthy for generations, these are things that they have known that we have not. Correct. All these little incremental things. All these little, these little small little things. Because here you are, you know, you're going to work, you're paying your taxes, you're thinking you're doing your thing, you know, and doing the right thing. You may be at that 37%, but then here's somebody who knows a little bit more information. And that's why education is key. Because someone who knows how to get themselves down to 12% is not only not paying as much taxes, because they probably are earning more. But they are not paying as much taxable, you know, on, on their taxes either. Correct. So they're saving 
both ways. And then they don't have this capital gains thing. So they're, they're saving both ways. Like they are getting, they're getting their hand, they're putting their hands in both pots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this is why, you know, this segment is so important to me. And so when we came up with it, I was really, really excited about it. And I, and I hope that we continue it because in education about money and how it works and how to make it work for you is just so, so important. And I think a lot of us don't have that education. So, you know, again, just as an aside, thank you so much for for this segment. It, it, it's just incredible. And, and I hope that, you know, my listeners out there are are feel the same way. There we go. Certainly. So moving on to our next couple of questions. So what kinds of accounts will yield the greatest tax savings over time? And before you answer that, let me just say I saw this on Facebook that there is this new and I'm not going to call the name because they aren't they aren't paying for any advertising. So um, I, they it was one of these kind of like online bank type deals. And, <clears throat> and they were saying that, you know, they have yields up to 15 percent on, on their on their savings accounts. And so that got me, you know, that piqued my interest because no bank is offering 15 percent. And it turns out neither are they. Because when I read, you know, what the APR was, it was the 1% that you get at every other bank. So, you know, when you're seeing these things about, you know, you can save money and skip the bank and all of this, you know, just make sure that you read the fine print. Because, you know, what they're advertising may or may not be the entire truth. But now, going into these accounts. And the... And the question was, what are the best vehicles for... Yeah, what uh, kinds of accounts will we get, you know, better tax savings over time? Sure. So it really kind of, a part of it is having some foresight around, you know, what do you expect taxes to be later? Mm -hmm. So if you expect taxes to be exactly the same as they are today, then it doesn't really matter whether you do pre-tax or post-tax, because the end result, you'll have the same net, net amount. Okay. If if you suspect taxes to be lower in the future, then you want to be more heavily weighted to pre-tax dollars like a 401k. Gotcha. If you expect taxes to be higher later, then you want to be more heavily weighted to vehicles where you have either capital gains tax or no tax. <laughs> and so that the post-tax world would be a Roth IRA, mm-hmm. a Roth 401k option. A lot of employers are you know starting to offer that as mm-hmm. part of their... Uh, 401k. Part of their package, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you, you, like we talked about the capital gains scenario on an investment account, or you could leverage um, a, a permanent life insurance contract to where it's the only vehicle in the tax code that works on a what's, a, what's called FIFO basis, first in, first out, mm-hmm. to where you're accessing the dollars that you funded into one of those policies first. Gotcha. And the, the gains and the growth, you're essentially, you know, you're accessing those, accessing those last. So it, it creates another, you know, vehicle, if you will, to create some more tax efficiency. And and with these with these different accounts, um, you know, because, of course, you know, we're, we're not we're not Rockefellers here. We're not working with with that kind of money. Um, and, and if you ever, you know, want to read the history that is fascinating the Rockefeller family and how they how they came into existence and how they built that wealth is a fascinating story. It's like, whoa. But anyway, um, 
in terms of like a minimum that you can contribute to participate in in these in these types of things is there a minimum um i mean usually so if you look at like a, a roth ira for example mm-hmm. so you can you can go to essentially any broker dealer you know um all the major firms you can think of and you can open up an account today and start funding in you know twenty five fifty dollars a month if you wanted to so Usually even if e- even if you are if you are an employee if you're in an employee financial situation you can still access you can still open this kind of an account correct okay and usually where the the problem comes in is you know some mutual fund families if you're buying mutual funds for example they may have a, a minimum amount to be able to gain access to the fund. And okay. It could be $1,000 or $2,000. And so that, that'll help incentivize you to accelerate putting money into the account. So you okay. Can... Very good. That is good to know. Good to know. Good to know. So now just as, you know, in these last few minutes, just as, um, just as, a, as a little giggle, because I sent this to you um, about, you know, tax shelters and offshore accounts. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that that's not I don't know if that's even legal anymore or if that even is a thing. But, you know, it just it, when we were talking about, you know, the IRS and, you know, I just remember how people um, would do that if they still do. I don't know. Um, oh, they definitely still do. Really? OK. <laughs> I, I did not know that. I, I figured they had uh, they would have been able to clamp down on that. Yeah, there, there's been a lot more scrutiny attached to it, okay. and the, the, the reality is it's not necessarily illegal. It's depending on the use and the purpose of what that you know offshore shell account was was set up for. Okay, and so that's usually what gets people in a lot of trouble. Interesting. And, and all I share with you, I'm like, really for for that type of stuff, you kind of got to begin with the end in mind. Because if, if you set up an offshore account and the money is now offshore eventually do you ever plan on bringing that money back to the U.S.? And if you do, then that's when the tax. Bingo. <laughs> Got it. So if you get an offshore account, just plan to retire and go to that island and spend your money there. There we go. Don't bring it back to the United States. Uh, otherwise, your uncle will have his hand out for it. He'll, he'll be waiting. He'll be waiting. He always is. He never <laughs> He never sleeps. He never tires. He doesn't seem to get old. I tell you. Well, all righty. Any last bit of advice from you, Mr. Brian Ford? Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I want to share, you know, just in terms of like for a lot of the people that I work with in general. So there's some unique things I've noticed. I, I work with a lot of professional women mm-hmm. and there's some unique planning considerations for uh, women in particular. Okay. So it's, it's no secret, you know, just actuarial science, you know, women are expected to outlive us as males. I have a whole another hypothesis for that. <laughs> and so the, the reality of it from a financial planning vantage point is taxes become a part of it. Right. So for example, if you're married and as a woman, typically you'll usually outlive your spouse. And now all of a sudden you went from a scenario to where there were two sources of social security income coming mm-hmm. in. And now there's one when your spouse passes away, mm-hmm. your income just went down. But then when you go to file your taxes, you went from married filing jointly, most likely to a single tax filing payer again. Mm-hmm. So your, your tax scenario went up, but your income went down. Wow. <laughs> and so there's a lot of little like, 
quirky low planning things you got to think about ahead of time to plan for that stuff that unfortunately you know most people because life is so busy you don't think about that stuff until right it's right, right. <laughs> and so you're just getting the double whammy you've lost your spouse and and decreased your income and increased your tax bill i'm sorry that's a triple whammy that's just yeah heavy that's load a, that's a lot <laughs> and so that, and that's where, again, just working with professionals is, is pretty helpful because, you know, we have enough knowledge and experience and see that stuff enough so we can plan for it ahead of time. So that way, when it does arrive, at least we can soften the blow and take the pain away. At least we can't bring your spouse back. Right. But, but, right. but at least we can kind of soften the we blow. Cu- and we can cushion the financial, the financial <laughs> impacts of that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and I definitely, and we talked about this before, about, you know, making those arrangements for uh, for the eventuality of death um, because you know it, it will happen to all of us at some point in time eventually and it's not pleasant to talk about but you know once you put that plan together you don't have to you know you may revisit it to tweak it but you don't have to do it so it's kind of like ripping off a bandage just do it and you know correct and it's done and, and the, the other one I would mention is you know a lot of times just professional women having children so yes. taking time away from the work you grow an entire human being in their body and stay at home and take care of that child. There's a financial impact to that. So just planning for a lot of that stuff ahead of time. Definitely. Definitely. Well, as always, thank you so very much for your helpful tips this week. And we look forward to seeing you back again next month with our Money and Medicine segment. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Ford of Northwestern Mutual. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. And we'll be back with Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa after this short commercial break. Have you been looking for a radio station that gives you sports? I don't believe it! It's a touchdown! Entertainment? Are you not entertained? And other special interest talk shows? Well, isn't that special? All on one app? Yo, that's dope. What app is that? It's the real 1100 AM app for WWE. Grab it for free in your Google Play or Apple App Store today. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On, on the, the Old Fashioned Health, Health Show. Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in on the Real 1100. back welcome back in our last minutes of this week's show once again i want to say a thank you to mr brian ford of northwestern mutual he always brings great information and it's a good conversation and i hope you all are enjoying and are learning something about how you can make your money work for you Uh, but now we're going to go ahead in our last minutes and segment into our vitamin c um and so you know that was um that song there was sisters are doing it for themselves and sometimes we have to do that but sometimes we can rely on our good men folks so i don't want 
our men folk to feel like this show was, you know, man bashing or anything like that, because that is totally not what I am about. But anyway, moving into our vitamin C. Today's vitamin C is about legacy. So normally in the course of my preparation for for a week's show, I write my vitamin C last because I want to live through the week and see, you know, what inspiration kind of comes to me. Um, And it usually does. And it usually comes last, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And, and, you know, I I will finalize the show by writing my vitamin C. Um, But this week it came um, on the heels of yet another loss. Um, As I said earlier in in the show, we lost Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, this past week. And, And this is a blow of just unspeakable magnitude. Um, You know, did I know her? Nope, not at all. Um, But this loss I do feel personally, um, because she leaves such a massive gaping void on the Supreme Court of the United States. But also her death has rendered her voice silent. And her voice was just so tremendous in the fight for equality. So I'll give you a couple quotes, um, as I usually do. This is one of hers that is my favorite. Women belong in all places where decisions are being made. Women belong. As I think about her extraordinary life and what that means to me, I can only quote uh, Sir Isaac Newton in a 1675 letter he wrote to Robert Hoke. Quote, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants, end quote. What Justice Ginsburg's life has said to me and to countless others, I belong in this room, whether it be the operating room, the boardroom, the corner office, I belong, you belong, we belong. That is, in my humble opinion, her legacy. And so I will close by saying thank you to Justice Ginsburg for allowing us to stand on her shoulders. And I will challenge my listeners this week with this question. What legacy will you leave? Once again, thank you so much for joining me on the best hour in the best hour of my week. Rest in peace, Notorious RBG. Thank you so much for listening. This is Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and I am, as always, Dr. Carissa Hines. I hope you all have a great week. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you.